The Keanu Review. Keanu, we gonna creep on you. From your B-list, your realist, for eons, do you know what Neo knew? And can you be Kung Fu? Or are you dead when he said party on dudes? I know it's beyond you, that you could be untrue. Whether at point break speed, a neon demon boo. We got a brief on you, don't put the tea on you. We drinking cognac for the podcast of Keanu. You are listening to the Keanu Review. We are taking you on a non-bogus journey through the cinematic career of Keanu Reeves. One film at a time. My name is Robin Hitchcock and with me are Bob Shields. Hello. And Regina Connolly. Hi. And this week we are here to talk about the bright spot of 2020, Bill and Ted Face the Music. (laughs) (laughs) I think it really is. It's been the best thing so far. Uh, I think we should uh, do a one-row review, even though we've kind of tipped our hands already. Yeah. Whoa. 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 <laughs> I think Regina and I tried to capture the same wistful energy in ours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. It was very. It was sweet. I am yeah. like. Uh, I'm very grateful to this podcast because I get to hang out with my pals um, and talk to my friends far away in California. But also, I would not have otherwise rewatched Bill and Ted recently, and uh, I think having recently rewatched Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey made this like all the sweeter. And I was mm-hmm. like, Bob and I were talking last night about like whether or not this movie benefited or suffered from like the quarantine bump or mm-hmm. the quarantine reality. I think it benefits. I think it benefits too. Yeah, I feel like that is almost a segment that we should do because God knows how long <laughs> this is going to go on for. Right. <laughs> It just, this movie feels very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so little that does feel very pleasant right now. And like, I guess <laughs> it's not just pandemic bump. It's like 2020 bump, you know? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. This this is just an, again, we, we talked about this particularly with an excellent adventure. It's like the optimism involved is so refreshing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I felt that way watching this. It just felt nice. Yeah, and, and it didn't feel like it was bogged down with, like, a lot of uh, unnecessary callbacks to the earlier movies. Like, it didn't just feel like we're cashing in and, and getting our check by bringing the band back together. It felt like they had something new to say and that they, like, wove in, like, a number. It felt like it was consistent with the earlier movies, not just callbacky. Like, there was definitely things that, like, alluded to the other movies or were references to it, but it didn't feel, like, burdened by that. And I think that, like, my biggest thing that I had said about Bogus Journey was like, I missed the sort of like relentless, enthusiastic optimism. And I think this movie returns to that completely. And so it was just really nice. Like, I don't know, it was fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like I think it lent into the things that made excellent adventure fun and, you know, exciting and interesting. And like what made that movie work and lent away from the things that it that didn't. So like, there's no homophobic slur doubled down on this one. Like, there is it's just the nice parts uh and i thought that was really smart and really good way to go yeah in some ways it felt like you could see some of the like the time has passed in a good way i would have been shocked if they were like you know what this 2020 movie needs the f word (laughs) right i i'm i am relieved but also that's that was my expectation i'd be horrified if the opposite happened (laughs) 
So rough plot outline, I'm sure we'll meander through other details, but essentially in this film, I'm not a hundred percent clear on, you know, Bogus Journey ends with the headline series outlining Wild Stallion's career and, you know, their mm-hmm. rise to fame and death leading the band. This occurs seemingly in the middle of those headlines. They've already had a rise to fame. Death has already left the band, but they have yet to write the song that solves humanity's problems. So I thought it did a sort of Highlander 3 uh, beginning where it was like, oh, they thought they wrote the song that saved the world, but actually they didn't. So they still need to do that. Okay. So I, yeah, it just seemed like, yeah, it, all that stuff was still true. But then this, I think this takes place after the newspaper clippings. So it's okay. like, oh, that they thought they were doing a good thing, but actually... They're still yet to do it. I think it had basically gone on from the end of the movie before the paper clips, uh, the, before the credits. Like they played in front of the world as they did in Bogus Journey, and they were popular for a moment. Um, but rather than bring the world together, like people kind of moved on. And the movie was like the more earnest they got about, well, we have to save the world, the more people were less interested in them. And then the band broke up because they had a fight with Death, who did a 40 minute bass solo. And so I, I think I think this movie sort of ignores the post credits uh, newspaper plot line, but potentially also this movie implies that there are alternate uh, timelines, so that mm-hmm. could have also been a different timeline. Uh, that makes sense. I think I don't think it ignores it. I I do think because the the death having left the band is part of the story of this movie, and their brief rise to fame is part of the story of this movie. It's just a I like Bob said like, well you thought the story was over, but it's not. I don't think they went to Mars in this one though. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say is I assume that that means that they'll go to Mars. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. I could take that. Imagine One Direction is actually Wild Stallions, right? One (laughs) Direction could become a band again, and they could write a song that unites the world. Part of the post-credits montage (laughs) that ended maybe when One Direction won the X Factor would include all of the stuff that's happened to One Direction in the last decade. Then maybe would include stuff that's going to happen in the subsequent decades. <laughs> Fair enough. Does that make sense? Anyway, yeah. That's my unified One Direction Bill and Ted theory. Um, so the storyline <laughs> of this movie is, you know, it takes place in the present. Bill and Ted are old men and they are still with the princesses who are now 15 years younger than them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And still as inconsequential to the plot as ever before. <laughs> Well, uh, they they try. They fail, I would argue, but they try. Regardless. At least they can do the accents now. Sort of. <laughs> so, oh, no, they do a good job. Okay, you are definitely the authority J- uh, here. Jayma Mays does it better, but okay. they both do a fine job. They start the movie with the princesses potentially being in the plot in that they go to couples therapy together. But then the princesses are met by their selves from the future who take them on a tour of like alternate possibilities and so essentially, like, they take themselves out of the movie for the entirety of the movie and then come back at the end. I almost wonder if those scenes exist somewhere and they yeah. cut them. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Or at least on the page. I feel like at some point they wanted to make those characters have their own storyline and decided there wasn't room for it because Bill and Ted's children mm-hmm. also have their own storyline where they are best friends and they make music together. And now I'm like, oh, God, the plot of this is actually somewhat complicated. <laughs> All right, we'll let you go. And we won't we won't digress for a minute. Right. <laughs> Rufus's daughter, played by Kristen Shaw, shows up and is like, hey, Bill and Ted, 
the deadline is here. You need to uh, make that song because reality is collapsing. Correct. Yeah. People are getting pulled out of time and space and spit out in other places in time and space. Yeah, that's... It's a a somewhat thin premise for a threat, but sure. But it came up with an adorable graphic where the Earth has Saturn rings around it that look like a record, and the record's getting wobbly, so we gotta make sure the needle doesn't skip anymore by San Dimas holding that shit together. Yeah, the cosmic turntable. I think it makes perfect sense. That's a pretty thick and hefty premise. (laughs) So Bill and Ted are like, well, you know, I think it's actually Ted's idea, is like, what if we go to the future where we've already written the song? And then we'll be able to write it by our our short deadline. So they go two years into the future and they meet themselves and they are total losers and mean. And they're like, well, I guess we got to go a little bit further into the future. And like that sort of becomes the joke. Meanwhile, their kids who are named Billy and Thea, is that right? Yeah. They're like, oh, well, our solution to this is going to be to go back in time and get the greatest musicians in history who are Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, and Mozart. Now, to me... <laughs> and a flautist from China. Oh, right, right, right. And then uh, an African drummer, and, like, it gets... And Kid Cudi? Here's the thing. And Kid Cudi. Well, he shows up incidentally. Right, he's more there to be an uh, expert on physics than to be a musician. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, I found the two actors playing their kids incredibly charming. And yes. I found those characters delightful. I found that storyline the weakest or the weaker, I guess the the princesses doesn't really count as a storyline. I would rather watch the princesses go to the alternate realities and think about their marriage in alternate realities than watch the, like, watered-down version of Excellent Adventure with the kids. So I think that I agree that there is a problem with that, and I think the problem is that the kids have no understanding of the urgency, and so that's not conveyed in their attempts to get people like they're not there's no peril for them going to get Jimi hendrix and going to get louis armstrong like you know they they don't have a ticking clock in the same like they do but they don't know it and so there's something about that that's just not doesn't equate to the uh uh, to the main storyline and i think that yeah it feels like they are their children so that they can play the same characters it doesn't feel like they're their children they are people who are have relationships with bill and ted like it really just like if they had just made the movie like billy and thea what did what did maxwell recommend last week like triumphant voyage yeah i would be on board for that movie just to be clear Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i feel like they tried to shoehorn like a backdoor pilot into another movie about bill and ted and it didn't totally work for me. I think part of the reason also is that because Louis Armstrong and Jimi Hendrix were alive in the last century, like, and there's like video of them, you know, it felt very cartoonish seeing these sure. actors play them in a way that I don't care if it's a cartoon when it's Napoleon, because Napoleon is a cartoon in my mind in a way that Jimi Hendrix and Louis Armstrong are not. They are people in my mind. Sure. I will say, though, the guy they got to play Jimi Hendrix looks and sounds exactly fucking like Jimi Hendrix. And he definitely has the right vibe to it. Yes. Yeah, like, I really like the idea of Jimi Hendrix being like, fine. (laughs) 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 
I guess. <laughs> See, I kind of liked that they included Jimi Hendrix and Louis Armstrong because, like, for example, in Bogus Journey, when they're, like, studying music history, it's like, here's a bunch of European composers. And I think right. particularly because this movie is very grounded in, like, rock and roll is the answer. Like, mm-hmm. that is a better... And, like, I am not a music historian. Oh, it makes sense to go see black performers, you mean? Yes. As a po- and- yeah. And, like, I feel like that is a thing that they did not pay attention to in the earlier movies. So that didn't bother me. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't find that, that subplot boring. I thought it was interesting because, like, particularly Jimi Hendrix being like, I'm not going. And, like, uh, uh, Thea had, like, held up a phone to record him, which in the moment felt like that's a thing that a kid in 2020 would do. But then it became useful in convincing Louis Armstrong to, like, come with them was to Mm -hmm. be like, look, I have this video of him. I do agree, though, like, I think part of the issue is, like, that they there's not an opportunity for Bill and Ted to have a relationship with their daughters in this movie because everyone is sent on their own private plot line. And while I'm very much enjoying Bill and Ted interact with Bill and Ted uh, of the future, like, that's, I think, like, a key component of the, the comedy of these movies is them mm-hmm. doubled. Yes. It does sort of make it a little thin because you're like... It seems like they love their kids, but we really only see them interact with them in two scenes. And a thing that we sort of skipped is at the beginning, the the princesses ask them to go to couples therapy individually, and then they both show up and they're like, we're all here together. This is one of my favorite bits in the movie. It was yeah. a very successful bit. Um, and it's like that they, they're sort of like poking fun of the thing that they had done previously where they just do everything together, essentially. And that the wives are sort of like, we would like individual relationships with our husbands. And they're like, what? We love you. We love you. And then it's like, I and Ted also <laughs> love you. <laughs> That was a very convincing not getting the point scene. Yes. Like, they did that so well. Like, it's such a ridiculous thing to not understand, but they played it perfectly. Well, like, my, my thing is with that scene is sort of like, I think the first movie in some reads would be like, here's an idealistic version of what those dudes could be like. And in Bogus Journey, the evil robot version of them is like, let's be honest, this is what they're more likely to be like. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it's like, this is what it would be like to have been married to that dude for 25 years, who's always pursuing a specific dream that he feels destined to fulfill, but arguably like isn't necessarily doing a lot of the other work of the relationship is the implication from the beginning. Like the Ted's dad is like, you know, only your wives work. And I felt like in some ways, like, I don't think that you need to have a job to be a contributing partner to a relationship. Um, But I think if the movie had given like a little bit more time to showing them being like good husbands or good fathers to their daughters, um, that that might have sort of kind of course corrected that a little bit. So they they, and they they opened the door for that argument in that the therapy is the wife sort of being like, we're considering leaving you. And so, like, I think the movie could have, like, I don't know, found a little bit more time for them to have time with their kids, but it didn't detract overall for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mentioned how the wives are younger. It's incredibly frustrating. I, you know, I went and looked at the ages of the original princesses who get a... And when we say original, we mentioned in our last episode, they are recast in Bogus Journey. But all four actresses were born in the early 60s, like Keanu Reeves and like Alex Winter. Mm-hmm. And now they have actresses born in the mid and late 70s playing the same characters it's just incredibly frustrating that said they cast two funny actresses yep and so it was cool that they got to like get laughs poor what's her name i know her first name is aaron with two n's but the one who (laughs) plays aaron hayes that poor lady she is just in so many funny things and barely gets to be funny in them like she is window dressing in a lot of 
funny TV shows and movies. It's like, oh, look at this hot chick. Yeah, she's mm. pretty. Right. But she is very funny. And mm-hmm. so it's like every time I see her in something, I'm like, oh, I bet there's a scene where she's really funny that they edited out. Yeah. And I think like I'm disappointed in the princess's plot just literally being like, could you just leave until the end? And yeah. also <laughs> they have ignored the like they're supposed to be good musicians and the only ones who mm-hmm. can play and they don't play at all. And also like the one thing that I'm like, you know what you could have left out? The Missy plot line. But that is how it opens is that Missy is now marrying her stepson I thought it was nice to see Missy. It's the same actress also. which I, I do think yes. it's nice to see Missy. I don't like that I'm marrying my kid. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. No, I, I did. I totally understand that it's not the best. At the same time, in that first scene, I was like, oh, it's Missy. And it's really Missy. You know, I was very yeah happy. I also, uh, like, I, I, my first reaction to that was, oh, uh, they're doing this again. Like, and it's gross. And, like, they're, like, lingering on the dad who's, like, been divorced. And now she's marrying her his kid and stuff like this. But um, I will say, Bill and Ted's description of their how that changes the relationships in their family is a very good analogy for how complicated time travel gets. <laughs> so he's like, "Oh no, my dad is his own son." Like that was that was really funny and really clever and really self aware. I thought. I also thought the wedding scene provided, like, first of all, like they they're trying to play the song that they think will unite the world, and it's like a lot of uh, like strange instrumentals not classic first dance songs but my favorite bit was the daughters dancing to it and i feel like that was the implied like they love and look up to their dads and enjoy Mm -hmm. like their music and also like they were just fun like the way that they were just dancing was very funny to me i agree um also we got to see keanu play bagpipes and i was like hell yeah that was my key keanu moment (laughs) yay it happened so Uh, early and not because i'm geographically inclined to enjoy bagpipes but oh okay sure bob sure yeah, uh, I jet. So actually, I usually the opposite. I usually find bagpipe like ribbing humor uh, really irritating. Also, not because I'm geographically inclined, but okay. I thought they did a great job. Keanu really committed to his puffy cheeks, uh, and, <laughs> and definitely made it funny. So I liked it a lot. So 2022 doesn't work. So then they go further, and they. <laughs> Their future selves trick them into saying that they already wrote the song that saved the world and that now they live these successful lives, but they are squatting in Dave Grohl's house. Yeah. (laughs) Their outfits in this were very funny to me. And this was the scene that they also find, like, they went back to the, like, how, like, the playing with time travel where they're like, we're dealing with ourselves from the future, so how can we do anything that our future selves won't know that we've already done because they've lived through it? Yeah. And that's really clever. And that was, like, the thing I said about Bogus Journey was, like, they're not exploring it or taking it to a new place. But I was like, this time they were. And I thought their solution, uh, which I'm not going to spoil, I was like, it is cute and hilarious to me. I laughed very hard when they they solved that problem. (laughs) I also liked the future them being like, they're going to do that thing. They're doing that thing. Yeah. (laughs) it was cute it was great meanwhile a robot robot is it a robot or is it a it's a robot it's a man in a robot suit which i approve of because that's what they did in bogus journey and again they're like good enough we have cgi in other places but you know what this dude will be able to do better mime work in this robot suit yeah so an entity from the future because holland taylor is in the future and i think she maybe wants to stop bill and ted from writing it the motivations are unclear and 
unimportant. She has said that there are multiple interpretations of the information that Rufus was working on. It might be that the death of Bill and Ted is what saves the universe rather than the song they write. Jesus style. It kind of. Bill and Ted are Jesus. Uh... <laughs> this was another in- like instance of the thing where I was like, oh, movie, I wish you could have handled this differently. As Kristen Shaw is very funny. And uh, she is uh, similar to George Carlin, like underutilized, except for she's in the movie a lot more. But the majority of her scenes are her talking to a piece of glowing plastic. And I was like, why would you take such a good comedic actress and have her work against a bad iPhone? Like, I just feel Mm -hmm. like she could have been much more like in the role, like she could have taken over the role of death in some ways or like been like an active part of the movie, but she was just sort of background. And all she was doing was like fighting with her mom in a way that I was like, like I was, I was texting with, with previous guest Chris Maxwell. And he said that he felt like the script could have used like a punch up. And I feel like that was an mm. opportunity of like, there could have been like way better jokes in like her delivery or her section, I think. Mm-hmm. So there's this robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He has gone back in time to kill Bill and Ted, but he keeps accidentally killing other people, including the princesses get killed at some like everybody gets killed at some point, right? No, he does not kill the princesses. He kills the kids and the whole band. The whole band. Okay. And the look on his face when he kills everyone was very funny to me. Where he's like, oops. (laughs) And it's very honestly like some of the best. Uh, jokes in the movie are the robot's face expressions, which I would not have anticipated. <laughs> I think the robot takes the role of death in this movie. Like, I think, again, like, yeah. I feel like death is in this movie, but he doesn't get to be as hilarious as he was in Bogus Journey, and he doesn't steal the show like he did there. I agree. But I think the robot kind of fulfills that vibe. Yeah, he's the socially awkward guy who wants to be part of the group, and they are not quite mean to him but like they are frustrated with how awkward he is i feel like i'm required to love his character because that's who i play in nine out of ten improv scenes so (laughs) also wait his character name is really funny i wrote it down it's It's like he has a very but it's like his full name is it's like dennis caleb something dennis mccoy dennis caleb mccoy yeah it's such a like i am not a robot (laughs) but i did feel a little bit like that was cribbing from the good place the i am Derek, like him just like saying i am dennis over and over is like Mm. so close to that joke that i don't know it just brought that to mind i still haven't watched the good place (laughs) oh well they go to hell you can go yeah (laughs) so anyway they meet death again because they've all gone to hell because of the robot killing them and so they get death back in the band and they know for reasons. Oh, because I guess they got a USB stick. Is that how they know the location? Or is that information from the future? No, the, the great leader tells them okay. they're going to perform at MP46. It's both. Right. So the great leader tells them, and we skipped that they we skipped two of their future jumps. So they, they go to Dave Grohl's house. Then they go to themselves further in the future, and they're in prison. And then they go further to like right before they think they're going to die. And the deathbed, Bill and Ted, give them a USB stick. And then the robot comes to kill them and is like, oops, I killed your kids. And then they break the USB stick because they're like, we don't care about this. We just want to save our daughters. So you Mm. have to kill us. But then the robot doesn't want to kill them because it feels bad about killing other people. Then the robot attempts suicide and they jump on him and all of them end up in upgraded hell graphics now that CGI Mm. exists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's where the USB came from. And that's when they start talking to, to death. And the daughters have to go in and like placate his ego so that the band can get back together. 
So death just undoes the the robot's deaths. Death's just like, never mind. He takes everyone out. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good job, death. (laughs) And also Ted's dad has been killed. Um, He got killed outside of Dave Grohl's house by the robot. And he's like, now that I'm in hell, I see that you were right all along. And there's like a brief like dad forgiving son moment. So reality is still collapsing. They are at the mile marker that they're supposed to be at. And they realize that the people who wrote the song aren't them, but are their daughters or their children. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then they also realize, and y'all are going to have to fill me in on how this happens, that (laughs) the nature of the song is that everyone is in the universe is performing it at the same time across time and space. Yeah, I don't know how they figured that part out. (laughs) But they do. And so they... Bob, you're going to have to take over from here. Explain, explain as best you can how they handle this part. <laughs> okay, so Kid Cuddy is an expert in quantum mechanics. Makes sense. And he explains... Uh, there's two things. Firstly, he explains that, that the future is not necessarily set. Like, So the future you saw is not necessarily going to be what actually happens. Or maybe that's old Bill and Ted that explain that. But uh, Kid Cuddy explains that it is possible to put yourself into a superposition, which is a real thing. That quantum particles can be in where they're in multiple places at once, which is why you express light as a wave, for example. Mm. It's not actually a wave, it's a bunch of particles, but each of those particles can be anywhere on that wave at any given time. And you can literally record the effect as if they were at all those places simultaneously, which is how... Keanu and uh, Alex Winter or Bill and Ted are able to go to everyone in the world simultaneously and give them instruments. Correct. Right. And I like this little detail when he he explains to his, like he gives his brother and uh, Missy like a ukulele and is like, just in case you're wondering, I'm an infinite me right now. Yes. (laughs) And then he vanishes. That's my key Keanu because that is such, that is such a good it's it's Keanu Reeves clearly having the time of his life. Like he's like, yep, yep. <laughs> we're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, don't worry about it. And also, yeah. I think uh, we're doing it. Don't worry about it. Is typically my favorite way for movies to handle science. <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. But here's the thing: he when he explains that, what happens to him? He disappears right in a flash of light. Mm-hmm. That's because. He removed by telling that information. He removed the uncertainty of his infinite prob- infinite possibilities. So his waveform collapsed and he disappeared. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see Robin's face. She looks a little stunned and worried that Bob will go into further detail about this. So <laughs> that's exactly what's on my face right now. <laughs> oh, I know. I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying it, it sounds like science gibberish, but actually, it's pretty. It's a real thing. That's perfect. That, yeah. It satisfies Bob and satisfies me. I mean, in real life, what would have actually happened is all the other Keanu's would have disappeared and just the one who was explaining it would have stayed. But it's fine. Like, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> A thing that I think this movie benefited from, like, in this, like, this plot point, it's not that everyone has to play the exact same song. I think it was that everyone had to play, like, the same note together. And I was like, well, this is a real quarantine lens because I was like, oh, this is a movie where if everyone chooses to do something together for the greater good, we'll all have a better future. Imagine if people continually made that choice. (laughs) What a hopeful, enthusiastic movie. I got really emotional, not while watching it, but later on, I was like, oh, so it doesn't matter what the song is. What mattered is that the whole world was making it together, which Mm -hmm. was like an improv analogy for me, where it's like. (laughs) If you just wrote down the text of any improv scene, it's terrible. But in the moment, it's beautiful because it's two people creating something together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this movie had a lot to do with um, (laughs) it's not about 
uh, perfect execution. Like what matters is like your enthusiasm for something. And Mm -hmm. like, particularly the way the daughters were like, just so deeply like in love with music and the way that they talked about it. And they just had a sort of like unflagging, like this is amazing. And that's amazing. And not that they weren't discerning. Like they did talk to death about like certain parts of it that were maybe not as like exquisite as other parts of his performance. So it's not that they were just like blindly, like everything is great. But Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, the message of you don't have to be like a famous skilled musician, but like the, the music is still like powerful. Like if you like participate in it and like let yourself be moved by it, I think is really sweet. And like, I'm not a, you know, a music historian. So like, maybe that's a simplistic take, but I just thought it was just like a very kind of like a hopeful message of like, they spent their whole life pursuing something. And even though they never achieved what they thought they were going to do, that they had been able to pass their enthusiasm onto their kids and their kids Mm -hmm. could take it in a new direction and do their own thing with it could be like something that bound them together. And also like that, that was the most important thing that they did was share something that they loved. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, again, like, it's just like, that's a really sweet message and uh, an entertaining diversion during this time. And like, particularly because it feels like this like movie was like a labor of love in some ways. Like I said, like, I really didn't feel like this was a movie that was about, like, let's just cash that check. Absolutely and I think not. a thing that I thought was, like, adorable was the... So Rufus had, like, given a watch to his wife to give to his daughter. And it said, like, sometimes the end doesn't make sense. and Or sometimes things don't make sense until the end or something like that. Yeah. And it, like, I don't know. I just felt like that was, like, a nice... Like, it did feel like they were tying up plot points and ideas that they had thrown out in the first two movies in a satisfying, yeah. this movie was meant to happen kind of way. Very much agreed. And I believe that's the end, right? Yes, that's th- that's it ends with them creating this song together and uh, people zipping back into the times that they belong in. Yeah. And then there is a charming montage of people around the world, sometimes playing instruments and sometimes doing air guitar. And I have to admit, the air guitar like moved me more. I and wish I really... there were more air, condar- air guitar because it made me really happy. It made me so happy to see so many people air guitaring. <laughs> That really was like uh, the part where they show a bunch of people playing Bill and or playing uh, dressed up as Bill and Ted for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just really was a very nice way to like celebrate that these very bizarre movies have this cultural legacy that it, and embrace it and celebrate it. That felt really nice. Also, I had forgotten that that's how the movie was going to end because I remember when Alex Winter like tweeted about like asking for people to record themselves jamming along oh, cool. to this song. Uh, like he just put it out on Twitter. He was like, "Hey, we're looking for footage for the end of the movie," uh, and then he re- he released the song. And uh, so I, I, when it came up, I was like, "Oh, that's what that was for!" Like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It was That's cool. Awesome. It was really great. And also, like, as someone who can't really play an instrument, like, when you air guitar to a song and you're dancing at 80s night and you're in college, like, you really feel connected to the music in a different oh, yeah. way than when you're not. <laughs> I have imaginary chords that I play when I air guitar. Well, you are a skilled uh, Guitar Hero player. Oh, that's true. I'm actually really, really good at Guitar Hero. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, cannot clap on beat at all. I mean, that's literally all Guitar Hero is. It's a rhythm game. Yeah, no, I'm very bad. Yeah. Um, I also, like, I do want to say, like, I, when I was a kid, I think we talked about this watching these movies, like, I did feel like Alex Winter was, like, the bigger character in some ways, or, like, I, like, uh, Keanu Reeves was, like, somewhat hiding his light under a bushel in a way, uh, and I feel like in this movie, like, I think Alex Winter, like, really holds his own with someone who is a much bigger movie star than he is, and I think he's great in this. hundred percent. I think he's so great in it. I do think that, you know, I love Keanu Reeves. 
I feel like he was only 90% there in some of these scenes. I feel uh, like he yeah. could have shown up a little bit more, which is I, fine. <laughs> 90% Keanu Reeves is still a beautiful quantity. <laughs> I agree. I feel like he wasn't throwing himself into the character as much mm-hmm. as Alex Winter was. And maybe that's his nod to like, he's gotten older. So he would be a little bit less uh, back of the shoulder acting. Yeah. And like his beginning part was like, I'm tired, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. It makes it, I think it's, it, it, it follows through with what, with the state of the characters as they are. I also, I was just glad that the characters still worked. Like, mm-hmm. they could still do it. They still felt earnest. It didn't feel like they were doing a caricature mm-hmm. of themselves. Like, it, it, you know, it continues to be an enduring uh, and compelling characterization. And friendship. They seem to still yeah. genuinely enjoy being together, which was lovely. Um, and I think that even though the daughters are meant to be sort of, like, copies of them, I did think those actresses did a good job. And this is another area where I feel like the script could have used a tweak where I just wish that they had had more fun with language for the daughters in the way that they had. Like, given them their own new slang yeah or like just like different like ways of saying things that could still be in the sort of vein of how their dads speak but like again like i think what was so fun about the first movie is just like the way that they talked was joyful to listen to and not just like the cadence but like how they were phrasing things was really fun and like i don't think it was bad i just think like that would that was an area that i think could have been like uh, tightened up or like an air an opportunity for creativity that was maybe yeah and they they did it a little bit but it didn't stand out like i couldn't quote any of the daughter's lines yeah i did love the dude it's the future when the (laughs) time egg shows up i just thought that both of those actors were so charming um yes colin kept calling samara weaving have you guys seen ready or not because you absolutely should i love that movie she's Um, great he kept calling her not britta yeah she that's fair that's fair um and then the other one bridget or brigitte lundy Payne, non-binary actor who is their IMDb bio <laughs> is the silliest, weirdest, best thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> uh, I will not read it over the podcast, but just go check it out. It is so bizarre. And I just feel like they both are so, they're, they just are so magnetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. They just have so much charisma. That like, as much as I, you know, said, I don't like that it felt like a backdoor pilot. Like, I'm also like, hey, if you want to make a series of movies with these two, like, I'm there. I am on board. <laughs> I would also love if they got their next movie and it was as big a swing and wild a departure as Bogus yes! Street was. Oh, right? please bring it. Please. Well, a thing that I, I liked about this movie, like the things that they kept that I feel like were in keeping with the earlier movies and not just callbacks is that they, they returned to having Bill and Ted speak together for a lot of their lines, which mm-hmm. I think like really worked. Mm-hmm. And they also maintained the language issues that like uh, Mozart was speaking uh, ger- German. And also uh, later when they like put the synthesizers in front of him, that was similar to what they'd given Beef Oven. And also he was definitely not playing that harpsichord in the same way that the actor who played Beethoven was not playing whatever instrument they were and yeah. it was very funny to me <laughs> i don't know i definitely felt with mozart i was like this feels a little bit too close to beef oven as you just said um <laughs> but i guess is is ling lun is i think that's it the the chinese flautist that they go get is hmm. that the subject of the magic flute oh i don't know because she plays the thing from the magic flute i think 
I, I, did not I do not know. It. I may work at the opera, but my knowledge is thin. I was just going to say, I'm like, Regina, if you don't know, then no one I know knows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we were supposed to do it this season, but, you know, things are getting confusing. <laughs> oh, so I, one more thing I want to say, and then we should probably address our segments if we have any outstanding ones. I really like just the existence of this movie because as we discussed in our first Bill and Ted episode Keanu Reeves had this period of time where he was like possibly ashamed of this part of his career and it's really beautiful for him at basically the peak of his career during the Keanu sons to be like yes let's go back to the beginning I'm Mm -hmm. gonna you know hang out with my much less famous friend again and we're gonna do this movie that completely celebrates this part of my my career and I just I really like that that makes me happy yeah I agree. I also wonder maybe that's why he dialed it down from a thousand percent to slightly less than a thousand percent because he's like, I don't want to overshadow the rest of my career with my oh. own greatness. I also read, which I thought was really adorable, is that because Alex Winter's filmmaking career diverted into uh, directing more stuff, that he took acting lessons again to do this role. Oh, that's so sweet. That, Good yeah, for him. Also, no I limitations. Know, right? Yeah, I know. Don't just rest on your laurels. Like, really exactly. Make it work. Yeah. Look, I think he was great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he's really great. I would not mind seeing him act in more things, but he should do what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get to our segments, there was one other bit that I wanted to highlight that I saw from my notes. So at some point, going back to the therapy scene, the the wives, like, basically, the, the Bill and Ted from the future come in to stop Bill and Ted in the present from losing the princesses. <laughs> and then the princesses are explaining to the therapist, like, no, no, we were born in the 1400s. And the therapist is getting more and more upset because she's like, this is spinning wildly out of control. And then after everyone has left, a historical figure pops up in her uh, therapy room or in her office office that's the word for it and the actress <laughs> runs down the hallway just going no and that's how i feel about most of 2020 <laughs> i just feel like that little moment of like i'm seeing a lot of things and i can't handle it it was very funny to me and it's very stupid but i loved that bit i really like jillian bell um she's and that is the perfect kind of role for her mm-hmm. it was yeah that, it was great she's very good at playing someone who is trying to control an uncontrollable situation. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. Um, you guys both gave your key Keanu's, but I have not given mine yet. My key Keanu is the other scene that I think was maybe like the funniest scene in the movie is they go to see future themselves like on their deathbed and essentially are like saying goodbye to their own father. Like it's, it's very much read as a like, my father is dying except for it's themselves. And Keanu talking to himself being like, I feel like I never really knew you. <laughs> and the way that old Keanu responds to it, like him acting against himself is very funny to me. And similar to the first movie, I'm like, you can tell not just because of the aging makeup that he's playing a very different role. <laughs> but I think the scenes of them saying goodbye to themselves is hilarious. And also the way that they sort of skirted the idea that like, I think a, a non Bill and Ted person who could time travel might be like, when am I going to die? And they're like, we're not concerned with that because no. they're just more literal. <laughs> All we are is dust in the wind. Exactly. Right. Uh, so that's key Keanu's. Do we have any Keanu knows? I don't have one in my notes. I Oh. Yeah. Do you have an obvious Contender? Yeah, mine was the fat suit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I kind of when forgot they, that that happened. I so like their future rejected yeah, their fu- that information. <laughs> yeah, their mean future selves in Dave Grohl's house. When the when the jig is up, you see that it revealed that they Keanu like unbuttons his shirt and he has a gross 
silicon fat suit underneath. Like it's supposed to be real, but it's clearly yeah. not. Um, and it, it just kind of read as why, like why make it that gross? Mm-hmm. Not that fat people are gross, but I feel like the the movie is making it synonymous with like having mm-hmm. a uh, a belly and being a failure. And I right. I don't think that that's the case. The like, movie I, I think... is being fat phobic and is also be, by creating a silicon body being kind of gross. Yes. Yeah, I just want to make sure I was following that. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. I also will say my Keanu no, and this is more the movie no, is I didn't think the prison scene where they're like totally like they look like uh, like insane bodybuilders uh, <laughs> cartoonish i think that was great in the trailer but yeah. i think if you cut that entire sequence and go from the two years in the future dave Grohl's house to their deathbed like that's enough and you could have mm-hmm. bought that you could have used that time to i don't know give the princesses a line um yeah. mm-hmm. so i would i would just cut that whole scene um like i think it i, I don't know it just it it read very weird to me and they i don't know yeah, you wouldn't lose anything. I think I feel the opposite, though, about the body horror element there is where I was like, I could not stop looking at their weird tattooed prison jacked bodies. I was just like <laughs> transfixed. He, he just had the word excellent t- tattooed over yes. his pecs. <laughs> I also like the part when the when the robot does show up and they're like, we know what happens if they kill us because uh, they would cease to exist. So mm-hmm. they defend uh previous like younger bill and ted but yeah but you could lose that whole scene and you wouldn't it wouldn't affect the movie that is totally true totally yeah. true yeah. so i don't think we can really do the segment of keanu and new since this movie just came out and he's in it <laughs> right. but i do think that we can uh cast charlie theron in this movie because we believe that every movie would be improved with charlie theron just as we used to believe that every movie could be improved with keanu reeves <laughs> so i love Kristen shawl but I would replace her with mm-hmm. Charlize. That same. And it's it's honestly, I think we have name-checked Charlize as a potential Rufus in yes. earlier episodes. And Kristen Shaw's character is the replacement for Rufus, even though they gave it a, a new characterization. I don't think it's necessary. Like, I, right. I don't need that self-doubt arc re- resolution yeah. like that felt tacked on. So just have Charlize be cool and be Rufus. Yeah, and like her comedic parts were like, being frustrated with her mother, uh, mm-hmm. and, like yelling at her on the phone, and then also being incensed that the robot had the same name as her ex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, Charlize <laughs> is great at making anger and frustration like really funny. So uh, I would have um, young adult era Charlize as Kristen Schell. I that is also my first choice and just for pure variety since we're all kind of in agreement here I would also throw out that she would be funny as Dennis yes I agree Mm -hmm. I guess there aren't any Rufus moments because this is obviously bang up to date 2020 movie I was gonna say I guess the one thing is that as always in 2020 watching people gather and have weddings and live their normal lives always feels a little off yeah so that's the Rufus but unfortunately, <laughs> I, I do want to just, sometimes I do want to pretend that everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. That looked like a very nice outdoor wedding. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go to it. I remember I those. Oh. Yeah. And I, I would have clapped the song. Remember events. <laughs> <laughs> remember high-fiving your friends and not thinking about contagion. I shook someone's <laughs> hand this weekend. It just <gasps> happened. I just did it. We immediately hand sanitized like crazy. But I went to buy a couch and I shook her hand. And then I was like, ah! 
<laughs> well, this was so at the end of the movie, like after the beautiful sequence of like air guitars, they have a, in my opinion, entirely cuttable post credit scene where they're in bed together. Oh, yeah. Or they're in bed as not in bed together. Oh, yeah. Uh, if only. Um, they <laughs> are very old. It's the, it's the deathbed like setting. And uh, Bill is like, are you dead yet? And he's like, I oh, know. Are you dead yet? No. And I was like, that could have been funny if they left it there. But then they like old man shred, which is like, but we just saw them shred. Yeah. It's fine. But I like that they high five at not being dead. Like that yeah. part to me before <laughs> they start playing guitar. Like if they had just done that perfect ending they also do the opposite when they first get to hell like they're pleased they managed to trick the robot and they're like yeah we're dead oh that's what that's what it was that's what my note meant my note just said high five that we're dead that was the i really liked that joke that's funny um also uh i'm sorry i don't mean to pick on this movie but like they do play guitar as part of the like everyone in the universe is playing music at the same time over Jimi Hendrix. Like, the daughters are like, Jimmy, you've done enough. Let these goofballs go on and on. And I was like, if you're gonna bring Jimi Hendrix, do not, not let him play guitar the entire time, you maniacs. Training montage? Oh, a oh, training montage. Oh, it be by a training montage? Um, I don't think it's necessary is where I'm coming down on this. I disagree. What would you have them do? I would have the daughters have a training montage for like how they're going to assemble the band. Like if they were like mm. in with all their music being like, who are we going to put together? Or have them do a training montage of like how to be a DJ or a producer. Yeah, maybe if they did a training montage for the ancient musicians on like, here's what electricity is. Yes. Yeah. And then they could have sort of <laughs> captured the like mall hijinks fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did love, though, that they were, like, on the interstate, and they're like, how are we going to have a show? And it was just a Guitar Center truck was right there. Yeah. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Hey. Sometimes the easy solution is all the movie needs. Yeah. This was, I mean, this was a delightful movie. Let's just, yeah. but have we scored it? I mean, I, I know what my score is. Okay, what's your score? And it is an, an enthusiastic 15. Oh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm definitely scoring this as, as lower than my 18s for the first two, but... I very much enjoyed this movie and treasure it. Cool. I'm going to give it... I So, maybe it's because I'm prejudiced against direct-to-streaming movies, but there was something about it to me. Like, I had fun, and I liked it, but there was an element to the story that was just kind of missing, and I don't... Mm-hmm. I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I don't know if it's, like we said before, like it was lacking that urgency uh, mm-hmm. for the daughter storyline, or if it's just the premise, like the disaster being averted by music just seems less connected to the solution than, you know, society being affected by music. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I can't quite put it on, put, put my finger on what the problem is, but I'm going to give it, because of that, I'm giving it an a enthusiastic, but still kind of low, 11 out of 20. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe part of what was missing or like part of what feels like what you're describing there is they went from a very personal disaster of if you fail a history project, things will be bad to all of time and space will cease <laughs> to exist. And that's a big jump yeah. in three movies. Common yeah. sequel issue. And so and while the record uh, around the Earth is adorable, like it is just sort of like it's a glowing light problem. And yeah. mm-hmm. how you solve it with many glowing lights and also C sharp, I think they played. I don't know. Uh-oh. They played a note. <laughs> anyway, so I hear that. But I think also maybe the reason that you can't quite put your finger on it is because you're wrong. And this movie is great. And I give it an enthusiastic <laughs> 17. <laughs> 
I laughed out loud many times. Me too. Uh, quarantine is hard. This movie is charming. And I think they, they did a successful torch handoff. And I think they revisited iconic characters while still being able to bring something new to it. It didn't, it's not flawless. Like it has failings that we kind of like picked apart. But like, I would absolutely watch this movie again. And as you might know, I don't really like to watch movies more than once if they're not (laughs) Terminator 2 or John Wick. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, high praise. Well, so that means then with your 17, Robin's 15, and my 11, it has an average score of 14. So okay, take that as you will, listeners. We highly recommend it. Yeah, it like we all said, enthusiastic. We all very yes. much enjoyed this. And it's only an hour and a half, so it is mm-hmm. well worth the time it takes. Oh man, we did not talk about that enough in the earlier movies. An hour and a half <laughs> is a blessing in and of itself. It was so, when I found out this movie was an hour and a half, like it jumped like five points immediately. I was so excited. 90 minute movies are God's gift. Like yep. just, and I hope that, you know, I hope the pandemic is over soon, but like, I don't know if you saw that like at one point, China was only showing movies that are less than two hours long. I didn't no. see that. As pan- so they they granted an exemption to Tenet. Ugh. Ugh. When I first heard that, I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> is this, it's like, this going to legally force big studios to make their movies under two hours because I'm yeah. on board with it. Yep. Like, I don't want every movie to be 90 minutes because then having a 90 minute movie won't feel like such a sleek win for me. But when I get one, I'm just so excited. <laughs> I think... I want most movies to be under two hours. I agree. I think mm-hmm. an hour of 40 is pretty much the sweet spot. Okay. I think two hours is fine. I Anytime you get past like the two hour, 10 minute mark, you need a reason. And a lot of movies don't have one anymore. Yep. You see a lot more movies than I do, so I will defer to you. But sometimes, okay. like I, sometimes I appreciate when a movie is long as hell, and at the end of it, I'm like, I didn't even notice. That feels like oh, an sure. achievement. Mm-hmm. I agree. And listen, there are are movies that deserve to be three hours, even longer than three hours, maybe, sort of, sometimes. Like the sequel to Salt that we never got? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not that one. Um, (laughs) But, like, God, I have no idea how how long, for example, Terminator 2 is. That could easily be two and a half hours long. Yep, it's very long. So, But it's great. I think you'll find the perfect length. Anyway, we've gone well off topic. That's our show, right? That is our show. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, and uh, we when we have guests, we let them plug their stuff, but I just feel in a plugging mood. So if you guys like movie podcasts and you're already up to date with us and with number one movie in America, check out our friends. Uh, Alex and Kyle do a podcast called Knockoffs, and it is very good. It's extremely charming. The only criteria is that movie has to be wild and someone has to die. And hearing them talk about it and tear it to bits is endlessly entertaining. I highly recommend starting with the Twilight episode favorite so far. Not that it's hard <laughs> to pick a favorite, but that's that's the one. The Twilight episode mostly made me think about how young Alex is. Yep, so. me too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not my favorite for that reason, but no, it's an incredibly charming show. They also, their episodes are 45 minutes long. And I know once upon a time, our episodes were 45 minutes long, so... I hope they stick with it. I hope they stick with it. It's not the easiest thing to do, clearly. (laughs) I like it when talking about the movie goes longer than the movie because I think that's funny. (laughs) But again, only occasionally. Um, But thank you to Alex Reed um, for our amazing theme song. It's so good. His band Seeming has a new album out. It does. uh, Which is called The Birdwatcher's Guide to Atrocity. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Go check. Go look up Seeming on Bandcamp. Buy their album. Yeah. All right. So thank you to my co-hosts. 
And most of all, Station Keanu! This breeze is so good, it's fondue with cheese. We're gonna eat it all up while we talk about Keanu Reeves.